Hi, welcome back to the Study Room Podcast, aptly to be renamed, uh, It's the Night Before My Exams, Please Help Me, I Don't Know Anything, because God knows I do. Okay, <laughs> uh, today we're going to attempt to cover the entirety of Paper 1 A-Level Politics uh, at Excel, uh, and yeah, let's jump right in. So, democracy in the UK. Uh, there are many different types of forms of democracy. Liberal democracy, which is the widespread right to vote, representatives act in the interests of everyone's society. Majoritarian democracy, um, you know, the will of the majority is a prime concern of uh, government. Parliamentary democracy, parliamentary sovereignty, and the executive is drawn from parliament. Presidential democracy, where the uh, executive is separately elected from the legislative. Direct democracy, in which citizens directly are involved in the decision-making process and representative democracy, uh, where power is transferred to representatives of the people. Now, there's also pluralist democracy, which is the dispersal of power among uh, competing groups. There's no elite groups. Groups are internally democratic. The leaders of these groups are accountable to their members, range of access points, and governments should be politically neutral. Okay, so, so first off, let's let's think about what are the functions of a uh, democracy. Representation is one function, uh, which is the means by which people um, put their lives, uh, put sorry, put their views towards the government. Accountability is the process by which government is held to account for their actions. Participation, in which people engage in the political process. Uh, power dispersal, which is a system that ensures power is spread across different bodies. Legitimacy is legal authority by which different branches operate and reflect the will of the people, and education, which is uh, edu educated and informed citizens to understand uh, and decide on politics. Okay, so direct democracy. Uh, what is it? Well, citizens' decisions reflect policy without operating through representatives. Uh, UK uses referendums and citizens' juries uh, and public petitions to gauge public opinion on policy. These are kind of elements of direct democracy within the UK. So this is possibly an essay uh, question that might come up. So let's um, structure it. What are the arguments for and against the use of direct democracy in the UK? Uh, first, let's run through the four arguments. It is a pure form of democracy. Uh, everyone has a say on an issue directly. It increases legitimacy uh, because decisions have a greater uh, democratic legitimacy as they have supported the majority of the people, improves participation, uh, people are more likely to get involved because they, they see their actual effect of their decisions, increases public engagement, uh, regular public debates and discussions improve engagement in the running of the country, improves political education, people need to be informed in order to make decisions, and, you know, it works. Uh, citizens regularly use uh, democracy in Switzerland, um, to make decisions uh, on how the country operates through direct democracy. Now, what are the arguments against uh, this? It's not very practical. Um, too many issues uh, in a modern state to vote on. Uh, high population means that it's it would be kind of unresponsive and impractical um, to, to, to have direct democracy. Uh, tyranny of the majority could be something that occurs in de de direct democracy as minority groups and interests may be overlooked by majority vote. Uh, and it undermines elected representatives. Uh, passing responsibility for direct decisions onto public, um, on, well, onto the public 
decreases accountability and responsibility of representatives' policy decisions in Parliament. Uh, low turnouts uh, means, uh, well, again, low turnouts for the decisions uh, in which decisions of a few affect everyone. This undermines the legitimacy of decisions made. Uh, emotional uh, responses, <laughs> people um, tend to vote emotionally rather than by informed decisions. Uh, populist outcomes, people may vote on popular short-term measures that benefits them rather than, uh, you know, the whole national interest. Uh, okay, so that was a uh, brief overlook over democracy as a topic. Um, now we're going to be talking about political par participation in the UK. Uh, there are many ways in which uh, people can participate in politics uh, by joining political parties, by voting, joining think tanks, um, and pressure groups. So let's uh, talk about that. Okay, pressure groups. Uh, you know, what is a pressure group? Well, it's an organization that usually has a, a single interest or a goal. Uh, they want to influence government decisions by generating public support and persuading the government to support their view. This supports the idea of pluralism in the UK because political power is distributed among many groups uh, and lots of ways to be represented in uh, your democracy. So types of pressure groups. Two main types to look at, sectional and causal. Uh, so we're going to start off with sectional. Sectional groups look after the own section of uh, society, uh, often professional associations. Uh, Examples of this are the Britical Medical Association uh, and the Rail and Mar Maritime and Transport uh, Union. So BMA and RMT are examples of this. And members usually have the same occupation or a shared interest. Uh, these tend to have a closed membership. Uh, next, we're going to be talking about causal, which is a campaign for a cause or an issue that often affects only its members, uh, open to membership uh, to anyone and perform a wide variety of activities to influence those in power. Examples of causal groups are the RSPCA and Oxfam. So groups can also have insider or outsider uh, status. Uh, insider groups have special relationship with the government. Uh, this means they have access to individuals in power, um, often large lobbying firms and large think tanks. Um, and can influence uh, government more than outsider groups. So an outsider group uh, don't tend to have these links and often resort to public campaigns uh, for attention to a uh, cause. Um, so what are methods that pressure groups can uh, use to uh, gain support uh, and, and change policy decision? So uh, pressure groups can lobby, uh, usually as an insider, uh, research and publish reports, um, such as um, the AA published a uh, report about uh, accidents occurring because of using mobile phones in cars and actually got legislation changed uh, to uh, make it more stringent laws around uh, texting and driving. They can give evidence at hearings and select committees. Uh, public, uh, pu sorry, publicity stunts. Uh, Fathers for Justice is an example of this, where they uh, climbed the buildings to bring awareness to... Uh, the role of fathers in divorce trials uh, and how they, people tend to favor women um, with custody. Um, they can go on strike. Uh, kind of a large example of this was the winter of discontent, uh, where you know large unions went on strike and brought the country to a standstill. They can hire a celebrity spokesperson, 
uh, increased uh, interest in the group. Uh, an example of this is 2009, Joanna Lumley uh, campaigned for the Gurkha Justice uh, group and brought lots of support and attention to that. Uh, they can bring test cases to court, such as uh, Amnesty International and the uh, Pinochet case covered in the other side of the um, A-level course. Uh, digital campaigns uh, can be effective. Civil disobedience, uh, so we saw this with the Extinction Rebellion campaign, uh, kind of climbing on top of tube cars and uh, things like that. Uh, they can organize demonstrations uh, and publicity campaigns uh, are other methods that they can use. Um, so why do people join pressure groups? So they can join because of representation, uh, because they feel that parties don't represent their interests, or they have minority interests. Uh, for example, uh, gay rights before that uh, kind of took off. Personal beliefs. Groups may, may uh, reflect their personal beliefs. Um, material benefits. People might join groups to get something out of it uh, instead of the interest of, uh, of the group. Um, so people would, you know, people who visit historic sites may join the National Trust, but don't necessarily uh, campaign for the cause because they believe in it. Uh, need. People may join based on a perceived need, uh, i.e. for job security, by joining a trade union. Uh, why are some pressure groups more successful than others? Good question. This might come up on an essay, so, uh, you know, pay attention. Uh, insider status. Close links with governments allow uh, groups to advise directly uh, on, on policy. Uh, an example of this being the 2014 Howard League for Penal Reform led a successful campaign to end a ban on family uh, members sending books to inmates. Wealth, maybe another uh, factor. Financial resources allow pressure groups to pay for lobbyists, adverts, and websites to better promote the cause. Uh, in 2012, the British Bankers Association paid lobbyists to persuade ministers to cut corporation tax. Group membership uh, is another factor. Large membership means more control of the electorate and more numbers to campaign and sign petitions. An example of this is the 2015 RSPC with uh, 500,000 members for the Big Garden Birdwatch uh, program. Uh, organization, uh, effective organization and management effectively allocate resources and manage members. Uh, an example being uh, the 2012 uh, RMT union organized a strike to secure bonuses for members uh, of the um, London Underground during the Olympics in 2012. Expertise might be another, uh, so knowledge and expertise on certain area means they're more likely to be heard and respected by government. Uh, the example I cited earlier of the AA being um, a good example uh, of that. So we talked about um, why are they successful, but what are reasons for pressure groups to fail? Um, so the goal, goals of the pressure groups can con contradict government policy. So the government is determined about a policy and the groups are against it. Then it's hard for the groups to persuade uh, the government. Um, an example being in 2015, the Tory government wanted a seven-day NHS, um, but the BMA, it was hard for them to oppose this. The government can also resist pressure. Uh, large enough majority can resist outside influence. Uh, in 2003, the Stop the War Coalition organized demonstrations against Iraq. Uh, but, however, the large majority that Tony Blair had in Parliament and cross-party support meant uh, you know, they, they really just didn't care. Um, goals of the group against public opinion. Uh, more likely to fail if um, 
the, the goals of the group are against public opinion, uh, which the government is more likely to follow. An example being the Coalition for Marriage failed to prevent uh, the legalization of same-sex marriage. The group, uh, if it alienates the public, can also uh, lead to failure. If actions or methods uh, of the group are unpopular, they may be less influential. An example being trade unions blamed for the st for strike or disruptions, or the violent means used by uh, the uh, by PETA, the Protection of uh, the Environment, uh, and, uh, wildlife and animals and stuff. Um, so those are pressure groups. What are other organizations in which people can participate uh, in our uh, um, quote-unquote democracy? Think tanks uh, are privately funded and wish to make workable ideas public policy. Uh, they persuade the governments by aligning with them. Um, so these often are based off of like phrasing public policy and, and how can uh, public policy best um, you know, go along with the public opinion. Lobbyists uh, are another organization. Uh, they meeting they meet with um, key figures to persuade them, and corporations and groups uh, often hire lobbyists to gain access uh, because they have personal links with key figures. Uh, corporations uh, are another type. They occupy key sectors of the economy, making them more powerful. They can threaten to uh, kind of relocate production um, if if people don't comply with them. Uh, hence giving them power. Government often consults them on ideas to see their practicality. Um, and yeah, um, okay. So well, let's talk about how democratic is the UK's political system uh, and criticisms of this. So it can be criticized as being not very democratic. The representative model means that elected members represent their constituencies. Um, and but first past the post mean that you can have less than a majority and still represent all members of a constituency. We've seen this with uh, MPs getting 42% of the vote and yet um, getting the MP uh, seat. Uh, petitions require support of backbench business committees, so petitions signed uh, do require the support uh, of, kind of you know, again, the backbench. In 2017, the petition to block Trump's state visit um, in which the House of Commons changed the word state to the word uh, work visit uh, and let it go through. Uh, some referendums are actually not legally binding. Uh, government decisions, um, okay, so governments can still make a decision on that. So moving on, uh, we're going to be talking about electoral systems uh, and starting off with the one that we use here. Uh, first past the post. Um, so what are the strengths and weaknesses of uh, this system? So first past the post gives a strong link for constituents uh, as each MP represents a specific community or constituency. Example being uh, Holborn and St. Pancras represents, uh, is represented by Keir Starmer. Uh, first past the post can allow MPs to win a constituency uh, while only gaining a third or so of the available vo votes, uh, which is weakness. Um, an example being in Hampshire and Kilburn, Labour won by 0.1% in 2016, and Glenda Jackson won with 32.8% of the votes, um, won her constituency, meaning that 67.2% did not vote for her, and she still had to represent them. Um, on the whole, uh, first past the post encourages good participation, but some safe seats 
uh, can disincentivize people who support alternative parties from bothering to vote. Uh, an example is Hartsmeer, uh, constituency in which Oliver Dowden won 59.3%, uh, 61.1%, and 62.5% of the vote in 2015, 2017, and 2019. Uh, so again, you know, if you're a Lib Dem supporter, uh, you're probably not going to go out and vote. Um, not a fair system for all parties is a criticism of this. Um, again, it does not allow smaller par parties to gain seats in proportion with their percentage of the vote. Uh, in An example being in 2010, Lib Dems got 23% of the popular vote, but only 8.7% of the seats. Uh, whereas Labour got 29% of the votes and 39.7% of the seats. Uh, first past the post often results in one party winning a clear majority, with one party uh, having the parliamentary mandate to deliver its manifesto. Example being the landslide victory of Labour in 1997, uh, where they had 43% of the vote and 63% of the seats, giving them a clear mandate uh, to, you know, do business uh, because they're new Labour and business is what they represent. Uh, okay. First past the post reduces threat from extreme and minority interest parties. Um, this can be a good thing when the issue is a temporary or populist one. Uh, an example being UKIP in 2015 won 12.6% of the vote and only one seat. Uh, so we're safe for now unless they gain more seats. First past the post maintains political tradition and um, stability. It's often difficult for new parties to break in as government uh, sorry, breaking to government uh, because they need widespread constituency support. 2019, the Green Party got 2.7% of, of the vote, but only one seat. Um, so, yeah, that kind of sucks. Uh, what other systems are used in the UK? Well, we use a couple of other systems. The additional member system is used for the uh, Scottish Assembly, and it's a hybrid system of first past the post and proportional representation. Uh, AV Plus, uh, which is the Alternative Vote Plus, is an ideal system not yet in use. It's a hybrid of um, addition, uh, sorry, Alternative Vote and Proportional Representation. Proportional Representation uh, used to be used to elect MEPs, so you know, proportional basis of the uh, vote um, gets the amount of seats. A single Transferable Vote is used in Northern Ireland uh, Assembly, which is also a proportional system. Uh, alternative vote is majoritarian, uh, where you need over a majority of 50% to get in. Uh, second ballot vote is used in France, um, in which it's a majoritarian system where you need more than 50% of the vote uh, in it, and supplementary vote, which is used in the London uh, mayoral elections. Um, yeah, uh, it's also a majoritarian system, um, which leads to often to uh, candidates being left at the end. Uh, okay, going more in depth on uh, different uh, voting systems, we'll be talking about uh, if first past the post should be replaced, and if so, with what. So constituency representation uh, can be a point uh, to talk on on this. First past the post uh, is a simple majority needed to win a constituency, meaning that there's a lack of representation because you need a simple plurality vote. In 2017, Northeast Fife constituency, the SNP won by a majority of two votes uh, and still had to uh, represent the re rest of the constituency. So this means that MPs lack a mandate to represent. 
Therefore, governments uh, might not have uh, popular support when they're in power. The SNP won 56 seats with 1.4 million votes, which were concentrated in 59 constituencies. Uh, and Glenda Jackson won despite 67.2% of the constituency not voting for her. So they represent, um, because you just need more votes than the next person, you still end up representing um, the whole constituency, even if you uh, don't, if only like 42% uh, of the constituency voted for you. So how do majoritarian systems uh, can address this? They require a winner to get at least 50% of the vote. Uh, otherwise, votes are redistributed from losing candidates. Um, the alternative vote and supplementary uh, vote retain constituency link and boundaries. However, they're not proportional um, and so, or, or even less proportional than first past the post. Uh, speaking of proportional, proportional systems much more closely match uh, a party vote share with the share of seats. Uh, closed party list uses the old formula to give high proportion, uh, proportional vote, uh, a highly proportional vote, but it lacks voter choice uh, because there's a higher influence for the leader because they choose which candidates to put on the ballot. Single transferable vote uh, has a large member constituencies uh, in which to win candidates must reach a quota, uh, and but this gives a greater choice uh, of parties and fewer votes are wasted uh, as any surplus votes uh, are, are again not wasted. One concern is that um, single transferable uh, vote voters uh, can do something called ABC or donkey voting, in which case uh, there's too many candidates to, um, uh, to choose a second option, so they just put it in order of preference uh, based off of the ballot paper. Hybrid systems give two votes, constituency and regional votes, uh, constituency link, but it's still more proportional uh, with the closed list uh, system. The Scottish Parliament uses the official member system uh, in this. So that tops us off on alternative uh, voting uh, systems to first pass the post. Uh, again, I don't have my full notes for this, uh, so I would strongly advise you to look more in depth on each of these individual systems. Um, okay, next up we're going to be talking about political parties in the UK uh, and touching on the main ones. Uh, okay, we're going to be starting off with old labor. Uh, so, uh, or, or sorry, starting off with the Labour Party. Um, so, what is a political party, just to start off with? Uh, well, a party seeks to convert public support into public office. Um, and the Labour Party was almost founded on its Clause 4 principle, uh, written in the Labour Party Constitution of 1917, in which it states, to secure for the workers by hand or by brain the full fruits of their industry, and the most equitable distribution thereof uh, that may be possible upon the basis of the common ownership of the means of production, distribution, and exchange. Uh, this means an, you know, nationalization of industry uh, in, in power. Um, so labor took an inspiration uh, from Marxism, but um, kind of fell uh, or, or kind of went to the Bernstein uh, view of evolutionary socialism uh, in its early days, and they're quite... Uh, 
the, a big fan of Fabianism, uh, which is, uh, well, the Fabian Society is a British socialist organization uh, which advances the, princip uh, the principles of socialism with gradualist and reformist uh, means. So there's old labor and new labor, uh, in, in which case the, the party actually kind of shifted in terms of policy. Old labor uh, had uh, these principles, equality of outcome, uh, they're committed in Clause 4 to a vastly improved uh, equality of outcome for the working class via nationalization of key industries. This is an absolute equality, but it's uh, kind of a, a, a equality of uh, outcome uh, in the end. Uh, equality of opportunity is a second principle. Free education, free healthcare, and extra support for the disadvantaged. Nationalization of industry, state ownership of key industries such as gas, electricity, transport. Um, redistribution of wealth in favor of the working class via taxation, nationalization, and hostility to capitalism. Uh, they view it as unreformable and incompatible with socialism. Um, so that's old labor. And then there's new labor, uh, which is going to be largely defined by Tony Blair. Uh, and, you know, the, the, what they call purple labor, uh, in a sense. So, uh, Blair wanted to rebrand socialism by not making it socialism, um, and he had politics of pragmatism, um, sure. Okay, so his principles of new labor are equality of opportunity, free education, healthcare, uh, opportunity for all to work hard and prosper, free market capitalism is the best route to rising prosperity for all, trickle-down effect enriches all, Provides bigger budget for the state to spend on social services and standard of living rises. Public-private partnerships. They, these fit the idea that private firms are more efficient than the state. So few worry that uh, they're also uh, more expensive, thus more inefficient. But uh, yeah, uh, privatization of profit, nationalization of debt is uh, kind of what this led to. Light touch regulation, uh, but not state-run industry. Uh, so examples being Offwatt uh, and Ofsted um, and banking regulations have powers reduced because government uh, accepted that industry works efficiently when not overly constrained. Uh, they support the disadvantaged in society. Yes, uh, they built schools, hospitals, etc. But no, because they cut single mother benefits and disability benefits and the working tax credit. Uh, this can be summed up with the phrase, a hand up, not a hand out. Multiculturalism, they were pro-EU immigration and promote accepting a multicultural society. Uh, New Labour, uh, kind of famous quote by Tony Blair is, our task is to allow more people to become middle class. Uh, yeah, that says a lot. 1997, landslide victory, um, which is the next thing we're going to be talking about. Conservatives lost all seats in Scotland and Wales. They had 169 seat majority, wow, uh, and 43% of the votes. Uh, trade unions. So Blair reduced the influence of unions in the party by introducing uh, the OMOV. Uh, yeah, not exactly sure what that stands for, but yes. Um, and he put um, out negative stories about teachers striking. Uh, which, how is this even labor, man? Uh, okay, yeah, so it was like, you know, if teachers strike, 
this isn't good because, oh, the children, what will they do? Oh, poor children. Um, yeah, poor teachers. Uh, okay. The pay of nurses and teachers declined in real value whilst uh, wages in business sectors rose uh, under new labor. Uh, and what was their attitude towards tax? Well, they kept the headline tax rate low, but increased VAT to 20%. This was an immediate tax rise of 2.5% for people whose incomes were flat and had little surplus to absorb this rise. Rather than placing this tax burden on those who could afford more, like the rich, uh, he encouraged everyone to pay, well, made everybody pay, including the poor. Uh, new labor policies that show that Blair's lack of support for old labor principles. The economy, he had an uncritical acceptance of capitalism. Uh, he dropped Clause 4 uh, and all commitments to nationalization. Uh, he believed in a small state, no nationalization, light-touch reg light regulation, uh, a hand up rather than a hand out, uh, and a safety net for society. Low tax to encourage economic growth. Equality of opportunity, not outcome. Multiculturalism, not class analysis of society. Um, so yeah, so it's quite straightforward how we can see that uh, this is basically conservative. Uh, yeah, so that was New Labour. Um, what about Jeremy Corbyn? Well, Corbynite policies. He aimed uh, towards moving... Uh, moving towards a greater but not absolute equality of outcome uh, by narrowing the wealth gap in society. Uh, more progressive taxation, nationalization of utilities and transport, abolish private schools, um, so it's you know the question of privilege versus equality, so they wanted to decommodify uh, education and um, yeah, free university tuition, but he was a bit you know on the fence of the EU um, so, you know, he, he saw the EU as a, yes, it is a capitalist block of self-preservation. However, because 50% of our trade goes to the EU, we're better off uh, trading with them. Um, so it's, you know, stay and reform. Uh, so remain and reform was a, a quote that he said. Uh, strong state regulation to mitigate the negative effects of capitalism on public good. It was anti-nuclear, anti-war. Because socialism uh, aims to create an international brotherhood of people uh, and more social housing. Uh, yeah, so that's a return kind of to the original clause for old labor principles. Uh, what about Keir Starmer and his policies? Well, he wanted to increase tax for the top 5% of earners. Well, he's still in power, so he wants to, at least last time I checked. Um, to increase tax for the top 5% of earners, clamp down on tax avoidance, abolish universal credit, defend the NHS, uh, abolish tuition fees, put human rights on the forefront of foreign policy, common ownership of rail, mail, energy, and water, uh, and end outsourcing, full voting rights to EU nationals, uh, well, I guess this was when they were still in the EU, freedom of movement as we leave the EU, uh, repeal the Trade Union Act and stand up for working people. Devolution from Whitehall, abolish the House of Lords, replace it with an elected chamber, and maintain links with unions. Wanted to promote uh, pluralism uh, in society, as we mentioned again before with um, that topic. Um, okay, so that was the Labour Party.
Uh, and next we're going to be talking about the Conservative Party. So the Conservatives, origins and development of the party. Um, so before the 1832 Great Reform Act, UK party uh, parties were groups of like-minded individuals with the legislative, uh, within the legislative. Uh, voting reform acts and greater enfranchisement meant that parties emerged as greater groups supporting opposing views. For the most part in the 20th century, there was a greater rivalry between socialism and conservatism. But Brexit cut across left and right spectrum. Whigs and Tories uh, were the old kind of names for these two parties. Uh, Tories founded officially, were founded officially in 1834, and Sir Robert uh, Peel's 1832 Tamworth Manifesto, in which he expressed key principles of progressive conservatism. Uh, he embraced change to um, for the correction of proved abuses and to and the redress of real grievances. Okay, uh, and avoid the vortex of perpetual agitation that occurs occurs with reform. Uh, and yeah, a famous quote is "Change to conserve." Uh, Disraeli was uh, kind of a main thinker in conservatism. He advocated for positive concept of government um, to put before voters. Uh, it was the conservative party's duty to stop the country being divided into two nations uh, of the rich and the poor. Hence, one nation conservatism. Uh, he was the first leading politician to put forth legislation to improve public health, recognize that the working class were um, were also often conservative in their resistance to change and in their, uh, I guess, social values. Uh, one, so, okay, we talked a bit about one-nation conservatism that Disraeli um, was one of the main thinkers of. So what is one-nation conservatism? For the most of the 20th century, the Conservative Party was truly conservative in an ideology rooted in pragmatism and a belief in gradual improvements uh, founded on experience and existing institutions. An example being conservatives don't like large welfare schemes, but in uh, 2020 or 2021, they pragmatically they had to spend lots of money on schemes such as furlough in order to uphold the economy. Uh, another argument, uh, this doesn't need to be in your notes, but a personal argument. Um, this could also be so that um, furlough means that poor people, uh, their situation doesn't get as bad, so again, they can, uh, one nation is, so that they uh, turn towards revolution and socialism and realize what is wrong with the actual existing system that creates poverty. One nation conservatism continues. Uh, this was a form of collectivist or paternalist conserv uh, conservatism which favored pluralism and social inclusion and that while authority should be uh, centralized, the state should be benevolent and care for the neediest. Uh, Mac Macmillan characterized his approach as a middle way, a balance between uh, the US-style uh, rampant individualism and the overbearing collectivism uh, of other countries. Uh, most conservatives during the post-war consensus advocated slow gradual change, evolution, not revolution, a Keynesian mix, mixed economy with scientific state intervention when necessary, um, support for the universal welfare state, uh, and internationalism. Uh, am I reading that right? Yeah, internationalism and increasing European integration. Uh, okay, Thatcherism. 
let's move on to that. Thatcher is not so much a coherent ideology, as uh, so Thatcherism, sorry, a coherent ideology, but an attempt to marry two distinct traditions. Andrew uh, Gamble summed this up as the free economy and the strong state. Two elements are neoliberalism, updated version of classical economic liberalism. Uh, its central pillars are the free market uh, and the self-reliant individual. Um, and a third pillar, which you don't need to write in your notes, um, the running towards the end of the world uh, or more sprinting in a capitalist direction. Uh, Neoconservatism was the other thing that uh, another element, which is a form of authoritarian conservatism that calls uh, for restorative order, authority, and discipline in society. The principal goal of Thatcherism is is it, it's uh, is its neoliberal guise uh, is to roll back the frontiers of the state, in a belief that unregulated capitalism would lead to efficient growth and widespread prosperity. Um, yeah, so Thatcherism wishes to remove the quote-unquote dead hand of uh, government from the economic life uh, and let private industries um, you know, do their thing. So this is mainly privatization, reduced union power, low taxes, deregulation. Uh, she, she believed in the atomistic individual uh, and famously said, there is no society, there is only the individual. Um, and drew also from neoconservative values like tough on law and order, traditional values, and national patriotism. Uh, Thatcher fundamentally reshaped the conservative party, uh, developed a streak of ideological purity never seen before. Uh, old One Nation Tories were labeled as wets, and Thatcher loyalists as dries. Uh, John Major's premiership was ripped apart by post-Thatcher politicians. Uh, the leaders that followed Thatcher founded a Tory party that was rife with internal factions uh, and um, kind of personal rivalries. So, talking about David Cameron. So, what about him? Well, he, uh, so in which ways was he Thatcherite in policies? He was economically neoliberal. HS2 uh, was taxpayer money given to private enterprise to deliver the project. Uh, he believed in academies, which are private, in, so in which private individuals are allowed to open schools, which are uh, state-funded, and make profits. Uh, no rises to tax rates, individual or corporate. Uh, disposable income needs to drive capitalism, was his belief. Uh, hostility to the welfare state. Cut welfare, introduction of the universal credit, which effectively reduced the total amount you claim to £26,000 per household. More controversially, you could not receive any payments for six weeks after claiming, leaving many in crisis. The state must remain small. Mostly that's right, and that regulation remains light touch, people power campaign to give local responsibility to individuals. Uh, he in which ways was he rather one nation? Well, he was committed to ensure society does not become divided. Uh, Health and Social Care Act of 2012 increases funding to the NHS. Evidence that parties is um, committed to the NHS uh, because it would be unpopular not to do so. Um, and London Living Wage, which introduced uh, trying to repair the Thatcher, there is no society reputation. In which ways was he rather progressive? Well, socially progressive in policies. Uh, he introduced a same-sex marriage law and supported it despite deep divisions in the Tory party. 
pragmatism also appealed to younger Tory MP, uh, yeah, MPs. Theresa May, uh, moving next up, uh, economic policy did not raise VAT, committed to disposable income, but also more one nation in that good for those on fixed incomes, uh, sorry, in that, yeah, good for those on fixed incomes do not become more expensive, so sorry, goods for those on low incomes don't become more expensive, um, pledged to raise corporate tax, um, sorry, pledged pledge to cut corporate tax, it's 10.30 at night, okay? yeah, give me a break, I'm <laughs> trying to do politics, and I've been rambling on for 40 minutes now, okay, she pledged to cut corporate tax, typically that's right, because she believed that corporations provided employment and wealth trickles down, which ways did you, uh, was she going to involve in social policy, well, the dementia tax, uh, intended to decrease the amount of tax spent on social care by extending the right of government to take your savings and property to cases where people are receiving care in the home. Previously, it was just if you went into a care home that the government would take this. Um, so this was, un, you know, unpopular, obviously, uh, and policy was rapidly withdrawn. Free school lunches that we were replaced with free school breakfast. What? <laughs> okay, um, reintroduction of grammar schools. Uh, again, this is a concept of elitism, uh, and only the few should prosper and nobody else. Uh, foreign policy. Um, so, Thatcher was hostile to the expansion of the EU authority and strongly resisted uh, to the Schengen Agreement and the Euro, uh, but May was a remainer. But in order to seize the leadership, she had to embrace the leave position, as this was the dominant position in the party at the time. Uh, so, next up, uh, Bojo, um, Boris Johnson. Uh, is Boris Johnson free market? It's difficult to uh, evaluate Boris Johnson because of the COVID-19 forcing the government to take, away, uh, to take a very interventionalist approach to expand the welfare state. He's also put vast sums of money into projects to create jobs and redirect the economy, HS2, Green Energy, Innovate UK are examples of this. Um, and Innovate UK is a funding body that channels uh, money into private business. Um, so again, that I guess you could argue is free market. On the other hand, this could be seen as pragmatic way of supporting the economy to keep the economy turning. If people didn't have disposable income to spend, this leads to economic downturn and rising unemployment. Uh, it is not a very left-wing or statist approach because the money is largely being channeled towards uh, the petit bourgeois and uh, private business owners who are the bedrock of the capitalist conservative voting base. A left-wing approach would channel most of the uh, most money to the needy, uh, and there could not be the and and not for you know profit uh, motives, uh, and it couldn't be profiteering from the crisis that has resulted in the school meal scandal, for example. Um, a reasonable conclusion to draw, therefore, is that government action to date is aimed at supporting free market capitalism during a crisis. Does Boris Johnson have a Thatcherite position on Europe? Yes, um, like Thatcher, uh, he supports trading. He supports it as a trading bloc, but does not support that uh, the ever-expanding agreement of the EU, uh, for example, the proposition of an EU army, and the control over UK legislation. Uh, but no, because Thatcher managed to negotiate a better deal. Uh, <laughs> 
and uh, exceptionalism for Britain throughout her premiership, the Maastricht Treaty, won a rebate for the UK, won exceptionalism from the Euro, etc. However, many speculate that she would not have supported Brexit. Um, does the coronavirus spending indicate that Boris Johnson is one nation conservative or has he embraced socialism? Stupid question. Yeah. Near, uh, you know, maybe one nation conservative. Okay. Uh, not embracing socialism as the main focus is kept on the economy afloat. However, there's evidence that some one nationness occurs, particularly in the furlough scheme, which has kept the lower middle afloat. Also, uh, with some income so that there is not a sudden explosion in the welfare state. Very difficult to make a direct comparison uh, to Thatcher um, because uh, who can governed in a recession, uh, who, sorry, who didn't govern in a recession. Um, her last move, however, was to introduce a poll tax, uh, the effect of which would mean that poor people were paying more council tax uh, than wealthy people as the tax would be calculated based on the number of people in a property rather than the size or value of the property. This led to her downfall and uh, to prot English, yes, protests in the street. Uh, it was certainly not one nation. So Boris, in comparison, looks quite one nation. Uh, is Boris a, a traditionalist? Uh, does he preserve it or is he pragmatic? Boris is a pragmatist. Uh, the Conservative Party had to abandon the usual fiscal trope of cutting the deficit. Uh, the, the Conservative Party have led to, to pragmatically adopt very interventionist approach with COVID-19. Does Boris Johnson uh, seem liberal or libertarian in his attitude towards the public good? Liberals believe in individual rights and freedoms under the rule of law. So liberal means they give up some freedoms to society uh, upholding the rule of law. Uh, libertarians believe in more complete freedom, where the government intervention is kept to the bare essentials. Uh, I disagree with this definition of the textbook, but okay. Uh, yeah, so I guess UK libertarian, neoliberal. Neoliberals believe that intervention is kept to the bare essentials, uh, such as war and foreign policy, when applied to tax. For example, libertarians do not believe that neoliberals uh, do not believe that they should pay for others' health care, taxation is theft, and theft of their freedom to prosper. Uh, just a distinction to make. The term libertarian uh, was actually used for the majority of uh, history um, to mean the, uh, the, the anti-authoritarian or non-government wing of socialism, and was only actually adapted to mean uh, this crazy right-wing uh, free market view um, in, in the US um, quite lately. So, but the, the term typically libertarian has meant the, the non-government wing of socialism, uh, such as anarchism, would be defined as libertarian. Um, but yeah, the neoliberal movement. Um, so while Boris has resisted imposing mask wearing to the time where it was felt absolutely necessary because of scientific advice, um, but has since upheld the liberal idea that your freedoms uh, and another uh, end where another person's risks begin. So that tops us off for the Conservative Party uh, and the Labour Party. So we're going to be talking about party unity. In which, when, in which sense are these parties uh, kind of united within themselves? So what are three main divisions of the Conservative Party? 
One Nation versus Reform, uh, sorry, One Nation Reform versus Thatch Rights, Compassionate Conservatism, Spending on Welfare, uh, being One Nation, Progressive Conservatism, Cameron's Same-Sex Marriage Law, uh, in which 129 voted against the law, passed with Liberal and Labour support, Brexit, 81 MPs wanted a referendum, Cameron did not. Uh, turns out that most of the Tory party supported leave, uh, around 70%, but could not agree on how. Uh, so those are the three main divisions. Uh, what are the three main divisions for the Labour Party? Well, the role of the state in the economy being one. Uh, the trajectory from Ed Miliband to Jeremy Corbyn was one of an increasing movement to the left, following a spell of dominance of purple Labour. This split the party into an ongoing bitter political dis uh, disabling period, 2010 to 2021, uh, of backstabbing from which uh, they're just starting to recover. Brexit is another point. Labour MPs were more Remain, um, but their northern voting base was largely Leave. Um, Corbyn refused to promote Remain uh, as like an official policy. Uh, but personally, he did uh, didn't believe in it. The left wing refused the EU's free market uh, capitalism. Defense. Nuclear disarmament split under Jeremy Corbyn, uh, opposed because he uh, opposed the renewing of Trident. Uh, this is not only a split, uh, because MPs... Uh, so this not only split MPs, but alienated traditional labor voters in the Lake District, whose economy partially relies on the building of submarines. Uh, some MPs were anti-war, particularly the left-wing branch, uh, so this um, kind of escalated when Corbyn was leader. Only 66 members voted with the government over uh, airstrikes in, in Syria. Uh, there are tensions between the idea of promoting industry and the working class jobs uh, and being against uh, the, kind of, uh, the large industry. Uh, plenty of MPs had supported the war in Iraq in 2003, and um, yeah, and, and, the, and confined to the supporters of the uh, Anglo-American Defense Alliance. Um, yeah, I couldn't read my own handwriting for a second, so I stuttered there. Uh, what is the counter-argument for the Tories? Well, their commitment to the Thatcherite free market capitalist vision holds them together. They're generally voted in as the responsible party in government, likely to create a stable economy. What is a counter-argument for Labour? Well, Labour tends to be more committed to social justice than the Tories, and are more prepared to use progressive taxation to fund a welfare state. However, it's hard to see how the, the democratic socialist wing can really integrate together with a third way, uh, that being the free market uh, capitalist wing. So, moving on to the last topic, uh, we are going to be talking about uh, voter behavior. So, as we know, um, participation has been declining in recent years due to many factors, uh, in which I believe failure of the left uh, to support the working class under uh, New Labour uh, and maybe Keir Starmer. Well, actually, yeah, Keir Starmer too. Um, okay, so in an essay, when asked about this, um, there are three main elections that uh, you need to mention. The 1979 election, the 1997 election, and the 2019 election, uh, which all hold distinct uh, 
changes in um, um, you know, class, age, social economic status, geography, uh, quote-unquote issues, partisan alignment, and the economy. So how has voter behavior changed from 1945 to 2021? Well, uh, first let's look at class. So in 1979, there was a strong evidence of class alignment. 59% uh, of middle-class voters voted conservative. 49% uh, of unskilled uh, workers voted for labor. Um, again, at, at, at this time, uh, you just had the winter discontent, but you had, uh, you know, labor unions were still quite strong, and the industry in the north, uh, you know, coal in that industry was still quite uh, present. Um, in 1997, Blair ex exploits class dealignment. Um, so he actually appeals to, instead of the um, unskilled working class, he appeals to the skilled working class, the petty bourgeoisie, uh, and the um, kind of middle class. In 2019, there hasn't uh, been that much evidence of class-based voting. However, the Tories um, do generally get mostly middle-class support, uh, and they narrowly won the election. Um, they well, sorry, they narrowly won the support of the working class. Um, yes. So, based off of age, in 1979, uh, there was much um, kind of show of influence of age in voting because 18 to 24-year-olds. 41% voted Labour, 42% voted Conservative. So no real evidence of uh, age playing a factor. Uh, neither in 1997, uh, when young people, around 49% uh, voted for Labour. Uh, there is evidence of age uh, playing a factor in the 2019 elections, in which 44% um, of over 65s voted Conservative. Uh, and young people tend to be more remainers. Um, yeah, uh, this also plays to the fact that young people are kind of tend to move to cities, um, and northerners uh, kind of feel disconnected um, because of Brexit and things like that. So young people move to cities, become higher educated, uh, and vote labor. Socioeconomic status. Uh, yes. So the. Uh, in 1979, the lower and lower middle and middle classes rejected uh, labor because they were mainly influenced by uh, the events of the troubles. Uh, sorry, not the troubles. The uh, winter discontent, and they they were marginally okay uh, because of price at the time. And Callahan was greatly unpopular um, because he completely failed to manage the trade unionists, leading to garbage piling up in the streets. Um, so yes, the lower middle and middle classes rejected labor. In 1997, um, yes, but less so, uh, because the the, the higher uh, earners, uh, the, the kind of higher classes uh, or economic status uh, kind of went for labor because of the low tax promise uh, that Tony Blair uh, campaigned for. Uh, in 2019, it's kind of difficult to see um, a evidence of uh, socioeconomic status playing into Brexit. Uh, sorry, into the the voting uh, in that um, sense. Uh, geography. 
Yes, it played a strong relationship uh, in the 1979 election with, uh, along with the correlation of occupation and class. There's the Red Wall in which northern uh, constituencies tended to always vote labor because they were uh, tended to be more working class and uh, represented by unions. Uh, in 1997, um, not so much. There was uh, a class divide that still existed, but cities tended uh, to vote more labor. In 2019, the red wall was broken by Brexit, mainly. Uh, so we can see that geography actually doesn't play that, that large of a, uh, a part anymore because uh, uh, a lot of northerners felt that uh, the, the Tories kind of played on the beliefs of uh, anti-Brexit, uh, sorry, pro-Brexit, anti-EU, to get the vote. Uh, because, again, Northerners feel disconnected uh, because of the decline in industry and all the young people moving away. Uh, partisan alignment um, and leadership uh, and the media. So... Yeah, so uh, what was the influence of the leader in the media in the 1979 election? Well, there was a, a good, uh, well, I wouldn't say good, but yeah. There was a uh, strong campaign by the Conservative Party um, against labor, playing on the uh, large amounts of unemployment uh, that had taken place during the winter of discontent and um, the failure of the labor government at the time. And they employed Saatchi and Saatchi to run an ad campaign uh, entitled Labor Isn't Working, uh, the joke being within that. Um, in 1997, yes, there was a positive view of uh, leadership in the media because um, Tony Blair was seen as quite a, a strong character and a leading figure. And actually, he got the support of the Rupert Murdoch press, which um, tended to... Uh, support conservative governments because that uh, benefited his uh, uh, media corporation corporate interests um, so again uh, strong leadership good media uh, and in 2019 again negative media uh, for labor uh, was present uh, how did the role of the economy shape the 1979 election um, yes it had a strong role uh, to play because of, again, the winter of discontent um, in which Callahan um, had tried to negotiate uh, with striking trade unions for um, a 5% um, pay freeze, 5% increase freeze on, because uh, uh, he had introduced a 5% uh, increase of, of wages freeze and he managed. He lost to the unions because the unions managed to um, agree. What well, sorry? Um, negotiate a 15% increase uh, in wages because inflation was quite high at the time. Uh, so high inflation, the economy really not working on. This played on sentiment of people uh, as Callahan failed the um, kind of the economy in a sense. In 1997, yes, this also played a role. There was Black Wednesday that happened in 1992. Uh, in which um, you know, the Conservative Party uh, kind of failed the, the economy in that sense. There was high inflation and high unemployment uh, that period, causing stagflation, uh, kind of the same as 1979. Uh, in 2019, it's a bit less obvious uh, how the economy 
uh, shaped the election because, again, it was mainly uh, Brexit was the main thing in there. So, speaking of 2019, let's talk a bit about the election campaign. All candidates um, in the Conservative campaign were required to pledge loyalty to the Prime Minister's Brexit plan. So, again, very tightly disciplined campaign. They had one simple message of get Brexit done, uh, and uh, this was also affected by Labour's lack of clarity on the issue. Um, so the so the argument is saying the in the uh, EU did not really inspire people, um, and the issue of having a second referendum again wasn't quite uh, supported. Um, so yeah. Uh, Liberal Democrat campaign never really took off, and the uh, social media and, and actually the role of the media was quite significant uh, in the 2019 election. Again, Cambridge Analytica and the usage of uh, votes uh, and targeting people who actually hadn't voted before were still on the, on the fence, and the uh, manipulation of uh, behavioral surplus by social media uh, companies and uh, those private tyrannies and all that. Uh, there's the collapse of the center that was actually seen. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Corbyn wasn't really fit to be prime minister um, because it was, it was seen as too leftist. Um, so they tried, you know, tactical voting to stop a hard Brexit on the conservatives. Um, and tactical voting was actually expected to affect the result of this, but did not really prove to be the case. Uh, Nigel Farage abandoned his initial strategy of running... Um, the Brexit Party candidates in all seats in mainland Britain, leading to more support for uh, the Conservatives. Uh, voting behavior in the 2019 election. Voting by age, we see younger people, 56% voting for, uh, so 18 to 24, voting for Labour, 21% voting Conservative. Voting by age and gender, uh, women tend to vote more um, Labour uh, than men. But yet again, younger women tend to vote more labor um, than older women. Um, so what we saw, uh, again, is voting by social grade, relatively the same conservatives across the board. You see partisan de-alignment. They got a large amount of votes from everybody. And voting by education um, and, uh, yeah, um, so people in Labour Party were mainly Remain, uh, but they were also kind of Leave people, and most of the people in the Conservative Party were Leave, and Lib Dems were mainly Remain. Uh, voting by education, uh, people with higher education degrees tend to vote uh, Labour. Okay, um, and I think that is it. Besides a little final fact, um, the United 79 election, there was strong party alignment uh, and little facts you might want to pepper in. 95% of respondents uh, to a 1964 poll showed that 95% of respondents identified with a party. Um, and the Conservatives had a strong hold on housewives during that election. And in the 1997 election, the Conservatives um, under John Major had just gone through um, their whole back to basics and return to uh, traditional values campaign kind of failed uh, because there was loads of sex scandals and cash for access scandals under John Major. 
um, and that led, uh, obviously, influence election results. Um, I believe that that is it, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for uh, A-Level Politics Paper 1. Uh, good luck on your exam uh, if you're taking it tomorrow morning uh, or if you're more prepared than I am in a couple of days. So, yep. Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot.